I do my bedroom voice into yeah. the microphone for this episode. Okay, so. Your best bedroom voice. Welcome back, everyone. This is Even More Eyes, and we are this morning going to talk about the latest release by the Marvel Cinematic Enterprise, which is Guardians of the Galaxy. I chose to serenade you this morning instead of coming with excitement. You can eat your fucking heart out, Alan. And I don't know why you're constantly shading Alan, like how many episodes down but i just think it's a really good he joke. likes being mentioned <laughs> he likes being mentioned would you say it's a, a bleary okay, eyes it? and more eyes to this morning <laughs> <laughs> even more bleary even eyes more. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so we are going to be talking about guardians of the galaxy volume three i'm going to hand over to james for the synopsis because well that's just how it works around here <laughs> Okay, so Volume 3, obviously we've had Volumes 1 and 2, and if you haven't watched those, then not quite sure why you'd be watching Volume 3, to be honest. Uh, it's our usual lovely collection of characters, though they are in a slightly different state to how they began Volume 2. So Peter Quill, played by Chris Pratt, he's uh. drowning his sorrows after everything that happened with Endgame and Gamora, but they're setting up shop in this place called Nowhere. Then suddenly, mm. out of nowhere, comes some golden mm-hmm. man <laughs> with superpowers that attacks Rocket, the raccoon, and uh, severely injures him. They have to try and save Rocket. And while Rocket is in a coma, we start to see scenes of his past, which I don't think yeah. believe has been that fleshed out before. So the Guardians yeah, decide yeah. to club together and go on a journey to because there's something to do with a kill switch inside of Rocket. It's very difficult to Mm. somehow repair him. And so they decide to go back to where Rocket originated from. What they find is the terrible high evolutionary who is trying to perfect human societies. He's like the big bad of this film. And of course they Mm. meet Gamora again, who's joined the Ravagers, who are this mercenary kind of pirate group. There's lots going on between her and uh, Chris Pratt. And yeah, we finally get to see the Guardians on what seems to be, you know, one final journey of this iteration of the Guardians. Yeah. And that is as much as I'll do without revealing any spoilers. I mean, it's not like we're not going to give you spoilers during the rest of the episode. Mm. So when it actually came down to the film itself, some of the things we're seeing here are you know the results of endgame which is sort of like a recurring theme for whenever the films go back to their standalone movies so we saw the same thing with spider-man we've seen the same thing with you know um, ant-man it's always who are you post endgame and yeah so in a sense i can sort of understand why they started the story off from that point because if you really think about it beyond the stuff that happened with gamora endgame was the last we saw of the guardians as far as like their narrative was concerned everything else has just gone into thor and all the other films and also the guardians are sort of like standalone from the rest of the universe in a sense because they're off in space somewhere doing more fantastical stuff while whatever is happening in this earth based world is on its own and has its own timeline i actually thought this was a really really good premise for this film i think the makers of the film chose to give us a sense of what the film was likely going to be about in the trailer seeing as a lot of the trailers for this film were centered around rocket and obviously i had a lot of friends saying is rocket going to die oh my god why is everything about rocket which ironically ended up being one of my expectations when i came in but eventually you know rockets didn't die but the rest of the group kind of did so 
I would say this is actually possibly one of my favorite Marvel films besides Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And I think it's because of the premise of it and because of how maintained the spirit of what we know Guardians of the Galaxy for while also being a really in-depth, soulful, moving plotline that you were actually invested in. I don't think Marvel has done that well in a long time. And I don't know whether it has to do with going back to Disney's formula of like the cute little animals (laughs) or something. But I think I was actually like really engrossed in this film, mostly because of the way the narrative structure was done. And it, of course, captured its usual comic scene ultraviolence with all the characters. Well, they are warriors in a sense, but they're also, they have the jokes and the deadpan humor, the funny bits. And then you just have, have sprinklings of like very touching scenes in there that make the movie so much nicer. And I think in terms of a film that is largely comedic in its beats, right? I think going back to a film that we reviewed earlier, that's kind of what was missing from Thor Love and Thunder. Mm-hmm. It did not have any pause, actually just be serious, actually take a moment to just accept something for all its gravity Mm. but instead it just kept on trying to lay joke after joke after joke and this film obviously gives us its jokes but it doesn't do it in that completely Mm -hmm. disconnected forgetting that these characters are actually going through something and it doesn't just try to like land another punchline in every five seconds because i mean when it does land the punchlines they are hilarious Mm -hmm. everything from how Gamora reacts to how Nebula reacts to mm-hmm. even between Drax and Mantis and the scenes are so funny but at the same time it's that capacity to balance the humor with something that was clearly high stakes mm-hmm. was incredible and I think that was my favorite thing about this film they actually nailed as far as I'm concerned the balance just right there were jokes in the film but the film <laughs> itself was not the joke yes yeah so that would be my first big thing that I got from this film which obviously that's actually why I love it so much it, it's almost like whoever was responsible for writing the script took the pen away from like Taika <laughs> I think James Gunn kind of knows the formula for what makes Guardians work so well because all three of them kept that spirit even though the plot has been different each time and the characters have evolved and changed in different ways each time the script writing on this one was beautiful. I loved it so much. When it came down to the characters themselves, I think what I also appreciated about this was like there was a sense of almost like rounding out a lot of frayed edges from the previous films, yes, you know. Yeah. There was a centering on rockets, but obviously they talked about what are the aspirations of someone like Drax because Drax has always been like the punchline mm. to a lot of um, situations because he's just dopey and like this big brutish dumb character. But then the film actually gives you moments where you realize that Drax actually isn't just that. It makes him three-dimensional. Mm. It gives him aspirations that go beyond being like the violent, manly, resilient muscle. There's this moment of tenderness when he's with like all the children and... Literally, that end scene, I was tearing up. <laughs> that end scene when all of them were dancing to Dog Days Are Over by Florence and the yes, Machine. Yeah. I was so close to crying. They actually just gave us a moment to look at these characters as entities who deserve at least a moment's happiness. Mm-hmm. And that was fantastic. I do have a few plotline-related yes, things sure. that I would pick on. But besides that, generally speaking, in the most broad-stroke sense, this was, again, a very, very rewarding enjoyable film watching experience Mm. so i'll stop there and i'll just hand over to you yeah i agree with all that i found it to be probably 
the most engaging of the recent Marvel entries in this particular phase. As we talked about last year, I didn't really mind Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. And I also think going back to the end of um, 2021 with No Way Home, I thought that was really, really good. But I've always been a huge fan of the Guardians. In many ways, the first Guardians of the Galaxy was a reason I even continue to watch Marvel films because when Thor and Iron Man and uh, whatever else came out around that time I wasn't really that interested if I'm honest and we got to the first Avengers I wasn't interested and I remember just watching that first Guardians and the vibe was totally different it was like you said that perfect combination of humor with some really quite grisly action very tongue-in-cheek, satirical, but it did have some heart to it. And Volume 2 I was a little bit worried about because I went to see that and thought, well, it's more of the same, you're spinning the wheel a bit. There was some nice development, I suppose, in terms of Star-Lord and there's some really good sequences in that film, but it didn't really have the freshness that Guardians had. So with this, like you said, I think what's really great is that one, you get all of those same elements but obviously these characters of age they've been through some tough times the beginning of the film i found to be reflective low-key rocket slowly walking through nowhere and there's something underlining all of this which is it alludes to the fact it's going to be a difficult watch as well so for me it was such a joy in places to watch i love the gun as a director and as a writer, he's not afraid really to go all out in some places to be absurd and to be really obviously pulling the heartstrings. Do you feel that you've got an idea of what he thinks about animal cruelty? Because I'm not sure I did. (laughs) 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 And I went with my partner and he said to me, I think we're going to have to become vegan. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Even though that kind of like the, the meat aspect is not part of this, but like the experimental stuff. No. I mean, there's no sort of ambiguity about it. Also yeah. connects with, as I said, there's got to be a reason that Rocket is such a cantankerous character, you know, a misanthrope. Yeah. But you a, understand why. Yeah, he's very jaded about a lot of things, mm. yeah. And, and I think that comes through here. As compared with some of the villains that we've seen in the previous entry, I really like the high evolutionary played by Chuck Woody Awuji. I just thought it was a mixture of a very theatrical, slightly campy villain, but underneath it was disturbing. The scenes where he goes into the cages and he's pulling out Rocket to talk to, I felt very much like an abusive parent. There's that bringing him close and then throwing him away. And you can see that palpable narcissism when his creation has realised something that that he hasn't. Yeah, and I just, I think that dynamic worked really well in this film. Like you said, the humour is great. The bonkersness is there. Like I loved when they go back to the organ world or whatever it is, and it's this very strange spaceship. But I like that. I just thought it was bizarre. It's always been something I think that Guardians has done really well as you go off and you feel like you're another part of the galaxy that the galaxy is this weird and quite wonderful place it's threatening but at the same time it's it's just funny there's just absurdity to it that's probably all i'll say for now because i think what you mentioned that was important is there is more of a core to this there is something to be taken seriously especially about where the dynamics between the characters have come to after these three films 
And so I'd like to probably say a little bit more about that. Anyway, that's all I'll say for the moment. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the dynamics between the mm. characters, I'm just like, I think what this film actually does is it takes the character seriously. Mm. It fleshes out almost everyone, which I think is something that is incredible for one film to do because I was trying to think which character in here wasn't given a little bit more dimension. Yeah. Every single person by the end of the film you realize has more to them than you imagine. You know, even Nebula is a yes, very different yeah, character in yeah, this one. It's you true. Know? She goes from being the other daughter, you know, the one that wasn't as good as her sister, to taking like an actual role of leadership and mm, stuff, which, mm. you know, was a very different idea of what Nebula was actually capable of. Even Peter Quill himself, I think the thing that was talked about a little more explicitly was actually the trauma of being Peter. That was almost never captured. And by the time that is mentioned, almost for me, it made you reflect on the way Peter has been in the preceding films, where it's always he's in this permanent hunt for something yes. whether that is his father's acceptance and there's almost this sense that you can start to see peter as being mildly distracted the whole mm -hmm. time mm -hmm. like he is semi running from something within himself but he's also trying to find something desperately in the real world and that moment when gamora the new version of her is actually like going out on him and being you know i cannot be the person that you yes. want me to be yeah. and you kind of need to and when Mantis, you know, through Drax, tells him that they have to stop hopping from one thing to the other and actually stop and realize how to be a person by yourself instead of just constantly trying to find your happiness in things and constantly trying to escape whatever sense of powerlessness you might have felt from being taken away from your family from when you were so much younger. Even just that very explicit acknowledgement of what Peter's mindset is recontextualizes the character for me at least that's how i felt because mm. when that happened i was like oh yeah by the time you think about films one and two that's what he's kind of been doing like even his relationship with gamora is this thing that was yes as great as it was there's a sense that peter semi-idealizes it yes to some oh, degree yeah, yeah, and yeah is this sense of you know this was the one great thing that happened to me and so on and mantis basically kind of calls him out on it you can't just use this as a flotation device to stop yourself from going into the depths yes, of how you actually yeah. feel and the same thing happens with Drax, you know, this idea that Drax has these moments of depth and clarity or whatever, and he's not really taken as seriously by everyone else, but he's capable of so much more than just being like the brutes. But Mantis almost saves him from some of those feelings sometimes because that's it when he realizes that, oh, you all think I'm stupid and she just goes, forget, you know, yeah. and I'm like, when that happened, I kept thinking, how many times has this happened before? Yes, yeah. <laughs> because if Mantis and Drax are always together, it's entirely possible that Mantis actually could have been keeping Drax in this sort of permanent state of everything is fine, everything is fun, yeah. and almost sort of like yeah, shouldering the burden of um, emotional labor mm. for the two of them. And so even that scene made me rethink who Drax was because this sense that he's completely oblivious is not true. You know, he's aware mm. of the ways in which he is seen and talked about and stuff like that. It's just that he might seem oblivious because maybe someone is keeping him oblivious. Then I also mentioned Mantis as well because Mantis, of course, we first get introduced to Mantis in Guardians 2. Yes. But there's this whole idea that like Mantis has been a sort of sidekick the whole mm. time. And in this film, this Mantis actually straight up says... I've always just been following someone else's lead. I want to figure out who I am on yes, my own. Yeah. And literally has the most badass scene where she walks away with like these three gargantuan monsters. And I was like, okay, that was really fucking cool. I mean, I know the film keeps talking about, did I look cool? That was the coolest scene <laughs> in the entire film. That's kind of what I mean by every single character gets a bit more fleshed out, but also the dynamics between them, you know, the way Mantis is with Drax, Mantis is with Nebula, Nebula is with Rocket. And I think the thing that I thought was really powerful 
was how every character actually really came around Rocket at that moment mm. of need to the point that no matter what Gamora said, they were just like, this is not a conversation that we're having. We are saving Rocket. And it was that realization that, oh, these people are not just some ragtag team of people with different powers who are coming together to do something. In this particular movie, it was what made you reflect on them as an actual familial unit, yes, yeah. which makes it all the more heartbreaking by the time you get to the end and you realize that each of them, for individual reasons, has a thing that they have to go off yes. and do for themselves. But there's also this sense of understanding that, of course, you need to go out and do what is useful and what is helpful and what might make you feel healthier overall, but we are still going to miss you regardless. For me, that was the core of the film. To quote the thing that was said several episodes ago that made me lose my shit, the core of the film really was just family. (laughs) And (laughs) We we have a theme. (laughs) We have a theme. Um, But it wasn't just family in like a very ordinary sense. It was family in a found sense. Because we think about from the very beginning, when you have what Rocket went through with the found family that he had originally that got just killed in front of him. And then his relationship that he has with his maker, who would have essentially been his father, but the father is an abusive narcissist. And there is this sense of what your original family is versus what your found family is. And then that final scene is especially when he finds all those raccoons. Because throughout the film, every time people keep making reference to the fact that he's a raccoon, he says, I'm not a raccoon. Because he literally has... Had no idea what a raccoon was mm. until he saw them and he was like oh i am a raccoon, raccoon. Yeah. you know and and he acknowledges that and he actually refers to himself as rocket's raccoon that is like a full circle moment rocket finds himself by the end of the film mm. and everyone else has to go off and do that for themselves yes. and yeah. that's what i see the film being about so there was an end of one era there was a dissolution of sorts of one family even though of course we still have the sense that they're not really dissolved they've just stepped away to find themselves or something that for me was the big takeaway as far as i'm concerned yeah i think you've touched on all the various arcs of the characters and i think for me to sum it up the word that i kept coming back to when i was thinking about the film afterwards was reconciliation every character's had to reconcile with something within the film and like you said sometimes that reconciliation will bring a family together in a way and and make them stronger and we have seen that in past films with the guardians or even in marvel films you know think about the avengers coming back together after the whole business of civil war and so on but i think the film opens an opportunity to say well sometimes you do need to stake your own path or go off and there's things that you you have to do as an individual maybe some of those reconciliations mean that the former unit that you're working in just cannot function in the same way i think what's great about the film is it does bring up like you said those tensions around someone like mantis constantly doing that to drax people constantly underestimating drax allowing star lord to be a kid old In a sense, the Guardians are like a very strong unit, but there are some tensions that exist between them that have always existed between them. And that sometimes, as you said, it can be a distraction from the personal problems that each of the Guardians have shown over the course of the three films, and especially emerging in this one. So I do think that Gunn had a very clear thematic emotional core to this film which is both quite confronting but also uplifting in others i think if i had any criticism of the film 
I do think the heartstring pulling of the little critters is so patently obvious <laughs> as, to, as to be almost openly <laughs> manipulative. I mean, in a sense, you could argue, I guess, that the images of these three animals that he uses are so grotesque. The fact they literally look like something out of... Do you remember Sid in Toy Story when he was putting like bits together onto different toys? There yeah. is an element of that with this where you've got these sweet little animals, but one's half a spider yeah. and the other has like a, you know, wheels yeah. on him. It was basically Sid's toys from Toy yes. Story. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Which, like, now I can never unsee that. <laughs> <laughs> Which basically fits with, you know, the high evolutionary as a character because that's all he does is he, he just uses creatures to his own designs and he just starts again you know and that's the whole thing in that film isn't it it's like Sid just discards his toys they're there for him to play with I think I was aware of how openly manipulative these particular creations were in the film itself in a sense it's okay because you've got Rocket's arc you come to understand exactly why he is just so jaded in the other films and why he's very defensive as a character, why he doesn't connect that easily with people because, of course, he did have this real moment of vulnerability where he connects with these creatures in a horrific situation. But I think the minute I saw them appear and the minute they form that little unit, especially when they're lying on the floor and talking about their dreams, talking about the stars and the ceiling and so on, they're dead. They're all dead. <laughs> you know, they're all going to die. But I do think the sequence in which they do die, and I think, think yeah. when Rocket escape, it's an enormously cathartic moment because you're just like, oh, yeah. this is the sky that the little otter lila wasn't able to see um yeah. and so on that being said though i don't think that detracts from the fact that the film as we've just been talking about has all these other tensions in it i'd forgotten really with the guardians mainly because their appearances have been in the other mcu films just how grisly the guardians can be in terms of the violence and it was making me think of um, oh, yeah, james yeah. gunn's other film the better suicide squad which was pretty violent guts being splattered all over the wall and sprayed and i've forgotten that there's always been an aspect of the guardians where it's just a little bit just a bit more grisly than the usual marvel fare i guess i've done a, a slap to the film then holding it in my hands and kissing it really because I think to put it that way I think the thematic core is very strong I think it's very engrossing I liked yeah. where the film came to I'm so glad they did not decide to resolve the Gamora Star-Lord split yeah exactly that would have been yeah, weak because I think that and that would have been taking away from the entire point that they were making about him being able to stand by himself and just collapsing it back into another romantic sub trope of like, oh yes, they found each other again after blah, blah, blah. I was really glad that that didn't happen and they just kind of showed them going off and being in their own lives. Yeah. And doing. For me, I would say the main issue I had actually with the high evolutionary itself okay. as a character. Mm -hmm. It's bizarre that this character that's supposed to be really intelligent and all-knowing and whatever is trying to create a fantasy version of a planet that doesn't have any strife or anything on it. Have you lived anywhere? Have you seen anything? Why would anything that is supposedly called a high evolutionary not understand that part of what has made evolution possible is actually all the random acts of violence that are embedded within the process? Mm. It just seems like, how have you lost the basics? 
And then obviously this whole idea of the secondary is one thing wrong with the planet, you know, scrap the entire thing and start again. What's wrong with you? It's that kind of like megalomanic idea that entities in the universe are just playthings that you can create and destroy at random. You know, this is seen also as well with the entire plan that Thanos had in Endgame, which is just what like call the planet by half because what reproduction will not happen again. Like, what's your point? It's kind of wild that you have these super powerful beings that are supposed to be the bad guys, but their plans and their agenda is seemingly so short-sighted. And that's the thing that bothers me. You're almost like a cartoon villain who hasn't thought this. But that was just like a tiny niggly thing that I had going on because I just thought, hi, I'm evolutionary. <laughs> Planets exist in so many different configurations. Like, just get it together. Yeah, like. <laughs> I, I, I can understand that. But I think that's exactly what makes him... That's the crack, isn't it? Exactly, like in, in exactly. That is the point. And, and I also yeah. think the thing that comes across to me with him is that this is all an exercise in supreme vanity, isn't it? I mean, and he is an incredibly narcissistic character. And I think that's exemplified, <laughs> yeah, I think, in, you know, that, the fact he wears a I mask. I think to be fair... Mm. When you think about it from the character beast perspective, it makes sense. Mm. I think I may be assuming that this character is a lot more rational than they are. He's very similar to the character of Ego from yes. the previous one, who was just, again, another psychologically warped entity. So if you think about it from a more emotional perspective as to what does this character actually represent, it is actually bang on the money, like egotistical narcissism, that being able to control the wills and the whims of everything else, feeling like you have the right to dictate how other things should live. I think what came through with that particular character was just that, again, for me, just some subtleties in his performance, which I think was yeah, really yeah. well done, along yeah. with the theatricality of him, you know, even having a yeah. fake mask yeah. and so on. And he isn't a full-on campy villain, yeah. I don't think, but... I mean, no, no, I mean, maybe no, but in but places. campy adjacent, you know? Like, I mean, the fact that all his employees <laughs> turn on him and then just incinerates yeah, everyone. He just, like, he just like, yeah, it's, it's wild. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I mean, think about the character Mars game metaphor for a particular neurosis or mm. uh, psychosis. It just makes a lot more sense from that perspective than trying to do any sort of like literal interpretation of what the character is meant to be. Because I was just watching the way the character interacted with everyone else and everything. I was just like, yeah, this is just like classic cluster B narcissism, really. It's, it's got all the kind of um, the egoism of Frankenstein from, you know, Mary Shelley's novel, uh, bringing things into yeah. the world, but for one's own vanity yeah. and then not realising the, you know, exactly. the consequences of it. And that's why I think it was, I think that's why it was such a wonderful moment when Rocket is the one who figures this yeah. thing out. And you can just see exactly. on his face, it's um, just like, how, how have you, you, like, this thing, done this? You, exactly. <laughs> If you think about it, like, if that was a healthy parent, right? Or if that was, like, a healthy creator, wouldn't that be a moment of joy? Yes, That you've actually yes. created something that has that level of sentience to be able to figure out something you weren't able to figure out. But the fact that that is taken as a threat, the fact that that is depicted in the sense of you were supposed to be stupider than me, how dare you? And, again, it just really captures the character. Like, honestly, besides, you know, the things that we've said about how the characters were positioned and stuff like that. To be fair, I don't really have much else to say about the mm. film because I think it just did a really, really good job. I think it was probably one of Marvel's best mm. in a long time. And it was sort of nice to see a refreshing take on a film that does what basically the latest Ant-Man film was trying to do, but actually does it well. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm. 
I saw so many parallels, you know, you're in a weird world with zany characters and, you know, people are trying to save somebody and blah, blah, blah. But then you also have, ironically, an all-powerful intergalactic entity played by a black guy. Mm -hmm. That's new. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) besides that, though, I think the film really does like a very, very good job Mm. at what it tries to Mm. achieve. And yeah, 10 out of 10. I don't know. I I feel like I give that score a lot, but like, <laughs> you know the handful of things that like I kind of give it to. But yeah. if something does like truly give me the to feel like that was a good film watching experience, that was worth like sitting mm-hmm. down for how many long hours in the big screen and seeing that like for me that was uh, very well yeah. done. I think the only other person that I want to mention who I think stands out in this film i think i've never really looked at her the same way in sense of previous performances but nebula it's just such a brilliant performance from karen gillan i've not always been the greatest fan of her mainly because of her appearance in doctor who i thought she was a bit too much in that but this is just it's fantastic because i think you get that cold hardness but you can really see beneath it she's become a more empathetic wants to go out there and help people she's fucking tough as nails so you know i think she really shines in this film and also again like full character closure considering the first time we get introduced to the character how she is and how she is by the time we get to the end of this film nothing else to say honestly (laughs) i think if you are a a fan of the first two guardians if you really like guardians you must see it if you are someone who's sitting on the fence on the whole mcu because as we talked about you know in the podcast we've done in the last year about the mcu if you're just a casual yeah. viewer, I still think there's things in this film to enjoy. I don't think I think you this need is to the, know too I think much. this is probably the one that really salvages it. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think this film is what actually salvages it because at this point I was starting to get tired. <laughs> <laughs> After Ant and the Wasp 2. Oh, exactly, yeah. I was so pressed. But anyway. Yeah, so that's it. Uh, thank you so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs> we can't even say goodbye. <laughs> we can't even I like the Guardians, we can't even separate. <laughs> <laughs> See you on the See next, you on the next one. one. <laughs> Bye. Bye.